Now your 24 hours are up. You either charge my client or let him go. Ben Horn, I'm charging you with the murder of Laura Palmer. Good move, Chair. Huck, take Mr. Gerard back to the hotel. Nail all the windows shut. No. No. Two men on the door. You're two bit Listen, lumberjack. You are finished in this town. Don't make it worse. Finished. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch on the Idle Thumbs Podcast Network. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. This week we are discussing the 16th episode of Twin Peaks. Uh, really just um, awesomely titled Drive with a Dead Girl. It is what it says that it is. This, um, If you're watching these on Blu-ray or DVD, it's probably listed as episode 15 also. I can confirm that. Just to, just to be cool, Twin Peaks is numbered the best. In this episode, someone drives with a dead girl. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so Maddie's body is discovered while Leland walks free. Catherine offers Ben the evidence he needs to clear his name in Laura's murder for a price. And Norma's mom comes to town with a shady new husband. <laughs> yep, I forgot about that. Even though I wrote that description like just minutes ago. Yep. And husband. Um, oh, and uh, uh, Lucy's sister. Lucy's sister's here. Crucial event. Uh, this episode was written by Scott Frost, who is Mark Frost's brother, and it was directed by Caleb Deschanel, who is, I guess that name now is more notable because it's Zoe Deschanel's, actress Zoe Deschanel's dad, um, right. but also he is married to was Mary, Mary Jo Wire, Mary Jo Wire, who plays Donna's mom in the show. Right, yeah. So, Eileen yep, Hayward. It's a... Uh, a little nepotism on the old Twin Peaks writing and directing team <laughs> for this episode. Yeah. That's so, okay. Uh, I, speaking of credits for this episode, my favorite thing about this, I can't remember if this... Oh, this oh, is yeah. the first one that says... This is the uh, first one that credits Piper Laurie as both Tajamura and Catherine Martell. Yep. Like... Tajimura is not a real guy. Why? Like we all, it's just Catherine. I know, but now we're totally in as Jade and, and Emerald, right. but in the real credits of the real show. Like there's now just ah, oh, Piper Laurie plays Catherine and the character that Catherine is disguised as, which gets equal billing with Catherine. Yep. Like what? <laughs> the fictional, presumably, character she's as, right. I mean, it's not like yeah. an actual guy who she's impersonating. <laughs> The real Tajimura is still to be revealed. <laughs> when, the, when the real Tajimura comes up, they'll just switch who's credited to... Add as Tajimura Taj- as himself and Piper Laurie <laughs> as Catherine. Next week, David Lynch as Tajimura. <laughs> that would be a really dangerous thing to unleash. That would yeah, be offensive would, and terrible. Be, Given yes, you're Piper right. Laurie's is already offensive and yeah, terrible. David Lynch's true. would be off the it charts be offensive. Worse, yes. Um. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> also, I guess speaking of the the credits, I really enjoyed the immediately after the credits are done, the very first shot of this episode seems like it would be an establishing shot of, I guess, the outside of the Palmer House. Mm-hmm. But it ends up just being they held it for a really long. Well, you time hear Maddie's murder take yeah, place, you hear a and then it's just the, the credits. Yeah, but it's, mm-hmm. it fades to the next day, and then you get credits over right. that. Yeah. Um. I was not expecting to enjoy this episode, I think, because of some of the stuff people were talking about mm. uh, on the forums. Were like, they, saying? they were saying, like, oh, it's a huge, 
it's such a jarring tone shift after last week's episode mm-hmm. and all these other things. Um, and I don't want to fall too far down into spoiler land, but having watched last week's episode and then watching fire walk with me yeah. in between, even just after last week's episode, I was expecting some weird stuff with Leland Palmer this episode, but man, I loved all of the Leland stuff this yeah, week. I, I agree. I agree. I really like this episode also. Yeah. I, like I, just, yeah. I don't know what I was expecting necessarily because I don't. Re- I didn't remember. I totally didn't remember exactly how any how of this stuff worked, it. but just yeah, especially the Leland thread. But also, I mean, we got a lot of Norma screen time, which is always good. But mm-hmm. just the way that the way that Leland is acting, and also the way that Cooper is kind of very slowly getting increasingly magnetized to Leland over the course of this right. episode, yeah, like yeah, it just totally. it just for sure was such a mm-hmm. it was just really well handled across yeah. the whole episode. No, that's a good that's a good way to put it. Um, so, do you want to just talk about? the core kind of Leland and Ben stuff, because the, the only other real big threads in this episode, there's the bit about, uh, Lucy's sister and Andy, which is, I mean, there's not much going on there. <laughs> Andy's and then, so confused that there's already a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's, um, there's some stuff with, uh, Bobby kind Bobby's of laying gonna... <laughs> the groundwork for some blackmail. And then there's, yeah, Norma's whole thing with her mom arriving. And we can quickly talk other. about Bobby's blackmail scheme because it was only one scene. Yeah. And it, the only thing that I really enjoyed about it was how little Bobby seems to know about the state that Ben Horn's life is in. Where he's like, this will <laughs> yeah. really get you, Ben. I've got this. I'm going to blackmail you yeah. about no, burning the mill. And Ben yeah. Horn is like, I'm in Ben Horn is jail for murdering. Black, blackmailed by an extremely competent person and an idiot right. in this episode. Ben Horn is being blackmailed by Catherine over the murder of Laura Palmer and the sale of Ghostwood. Yeah. Meanwhile, Bobby's like... I got you talking to Leo. It's like <laughs> cool, dude. I mean, like that is like legit, yeah, right? But Ben Horn not had anything else. To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> had his life been otherwise in the normal Ben Horn sphere, this would actually be an annoying. Like, even then, he would you he would just chomp a cigar and figure right. out how to You'd get rid of Bobby. That, right? He would find some way to just turn it around on yeah. Bobby instantly, and then Bobby would be too. <laughs> but now instead, to it's just it. like the little like maraschino cherry on top of the shit Sunday right. that is Ben Horn's life. <laughs> That's true. And he hasn't, he hasn't gotten it yet, but like, right. Man, yeah. yeah. It's Bobby a- like, like sniggering while putting this together. I was like, my favorite thing about it was that Bobby was playing a micro cassette tape through a speaker into a pencil microphone going into a regular sized cassette tape. Bobby was doing some prime 1990 <laughs> yeah. audio engineering yep. to, to dupe that tape. Yep. Um, Oh, the other, the only other thing I have to say about the Bobby stuff that was just outrageous to me was that, okay, well, one, Bobby, like, am I misremembering or did I missee this? Or did Bobby, like, grossly lick food suggest that is suggested to have been splattered by Leo's, yeah, like, Shelley, comatose face? Shelly walks in and she's like, oh, he Shelley. did this again. It's like, Leo must have smashed a bowl of pudding right. or something. Then Bobby, like, tries like, to seductively lick like, it off. Yeah. Shelly is like, my troubles are over. And she's kind of like, ha, huh, cool. Well, there's like, that. But then the thing that is, like, more ridiculous to me is that that's followed up with him being like, I'm going to get into business. And she's like, oh, like a salesman. And he's like, I'm thinking more like executive suite. And she's like, really? Oh, wow. Wow, that sounds great. Why, Shelly, after all you experienced <laughs> right. with this man over the last week, would it occur to you that he would – any promise right. of executive suite level of compensation be in any way plausible? When when Bobby's like, I'll get you whatever you want, baby, or whatever. And he, I guess he doesn't say baby. He's not a Renault. But then yeah. she's just like, all I want is a full-time nanny. 
Right. All I want is just someone to take care of my husband. And Bobby's like, get your fancy car. You know, like whatever he's implying there. Like, we'll go ahead, go to the beach. And she's like, uh, just yeah. someone who doesn't have food all over their body. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Bobby's, Bobby's got a scheme for sure. But yeah. Ben Horn. They're, okay. Uh, you you want to jump you want to jump through all these things simultaneously or in huh? in order I guess I don't care I I gotta that stupid flashlight sequence what <laughs> the the flashback sequence oh 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 why are you jumping to that we don't have to jump no, to no, that's that fine it's, it's so <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to jump to the we can come back to the flashlight what made you think of that why did you think of that just now things that are incredibly cheesy in this episode oh, that stood out and made sure. me go oh, that's fine it was the thing that i liked about that was when it cuts to the kids that they found to play ben and jerry are just the dorkiest looking i know but ben like, still has a cigar yeah the whole yeah. that whole thing was so strange um was that was it the babysitter who was that character i can't remember i think they maybe mentioned her in a previous okay episode possibly I, I it can't. just looked like Audrey to me, which was really weird. I know. I was wondering if it was maybe if it was played by the same it actress. Was just Sherilyn Fenn. Yeah, because yeah. I, I had the same. I had the same exact thing uh, thought. Yeah, it was, but I. But I'm not sure if it's actually if that's actually the case or not. That thing went on for a long time too. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean I to mean, jump. I didn't mean thing, to jump. No, it's fine. The thing that I the thing that was funny to me about that that scene is that it happens as Jerry comes in to you know, act as, as Leland's murderer. And the thing that's funny about that is that I'm sorry, as Ben's, as Ben's lawyer. Yes. As Leland's murderer is what you just said. I I know. Jerry came in to act as Leland's murderer (laughs) and then it flashed to this bunk bed scene. Sorry. I misspoke because I was, I was thinking about that because it's hilarious to me that the reason Jerry is serving as Ben's lawyer is because Ben's actual lawyer is like, has been charged with murder but he's also separately not charged with, but actually guilty of the murder that Ben the, the Horn ben has charged been charged with, with right. and thus needs a different lawyer to represent him. Yes. For. Like, I really like the weird circular yeah. kind of well, just, just yeah, disaster. Given that you don't that have situation. your lawyers indisposed for, it was just temporary insanity, right? Then Jerry's acting as the lawyer. Yeah. I just like that. I just right. like that he needs a lawyer for a crime that his actual lawyer committed, committed. and they don't. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know that. that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the thing that it, so Jerry's sitting there and they're, you know, they're talking about this and it's obviously like, well, you're in a real bad situation. Anyway, remember that time that girl danced around with a flashlight and they're instantly both just like, yeah. And they have smiles on their faces. Bonk bed. Cheesiest. Yep. Of course, even in the most dire circumstance, they just instantly start reminiscing about some. Well, and by that point, I think Jerry has also brought out his pipe and he brought Ben a cigar. So they're both just like chomping right. on yeah, all yeah, sorts yeah. of just yeah, that's true they can't resist the chomp yeah well do you want to talk about more ben stuff then oh uh, maybe i mean well we we can yeah maybe i really like when uh i really <laughs> this is just dumb jerry stuff and i'm not honestly I'm, jerry's not my favorite character overall but but he has his moments and uh i really like when he when ben is getting questioned by Cooper, I guess, with the with the secret diary, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Mr. Horn, you know what this is?" And Jerry kind of whispers to him, "He's like, a book, <laughs> a book." 
Like, there's just a little sweet, sweet thing. Sweet like, legal advice. Yeah, Ben has already started to say it, but, like, Jerry needs to get in. Right. It's like, ah, as your lawyer. Well, yeah, Jerry just throw especially through that scene, keeps trying to play basically just TV lawyer. Exactly, right. And then Cooper just totally tears him down by having actually researched his legal history and realizing that he barely, yeah. he passed the bar on his third try and was disbarred in multiple states. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. <laughs> A book. Also, speaking of the... um. Ben, uh, Catherine blackmail thread. I really enjoy how much Pete is just like over the moon about this thing. It's so weird to me because Pete is, you know, basically a kind of harmless, nice guy. The amount he delights in just completely screwing over Ben Horn was notable. He seems incredibly he's like happy. Basically, capering around. He's yeah. like prancing around. Yeah. He's, he's, he's cavorting. Yes, he is cavorting. Exactly. <laughs> He seems really, really, really happy that Catherine's back and that she likes him. Right. And he seems really, really, really happy that he might get control of the mill back. Yeah. And it seems like he's stoked that this might also mean that he can destroy Ben Horn and goes to estates. But also, I think that actor right. just... Which is a thing, though, that he, I don't think that character has come in contact with a single time over the course of the entire series. Yeah. Right? Like, we... Pete and Ghostwood are never. I yep. guess when Catherine is looking for the, the it's, it seems like Pete is kind of just high off the fact that Catherine is back and that her plan is just fully right. destroying yeah, this person yeah, yeah. And, that and he's in on it and that he's in on it. Yeah. Um, which is interesting given that elsewhere in this episode, on like the tiniest tiny thread, he talks with Sheriff Truman about um about Josie leaving, and talks about how he was he was actually fond for Josie and said I loved her. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Pete, but Pete also is like, because that that is not entirely in line with. I mean, what? Pete and Catherine are like Pete's over the moon uh, when it comes to playing this tape from Catherine, yeah, to Ben. But it, earlier in the show, Pete was a little bit more on Josie's side with this entire thing. Like Pete told Josie where the, the, where Catherine hit her ledgers and all that stuff. So like, well, yeah, but that's, but that, but that was just because, yeah, I mean, that's true. I, suppose. I guess it's just cause he kind of was on the outs with Catherine. Even, yeah. And I don't he was think sympathetic that must that, towards Josie because it seemed like Josie was getting taken advantage of. Yeah. But it turns out everyone was taking advantage of everyone right. <laughs> and Catherine ended up yeah. at the bottom of it. Exactly. Yeah. But also I guess now that just Josie's just doesn't seem to be around, Pete yeah, less, but yeah. it just it's it's hard to know what Pete's actual like arc and what his feelings about all these characters are because he's been used by so many right. of them and well, he never really has his own agency. Yeah, but I I assume that his motivations and feelings are about as straightforward as they come and probably not hidden under some like I think yeah, they're yeah, all yeah. they're all like just what they seem to be in every scene. Yeah, right? yeah. I yeah. just I just mean that I think if you track his arc out, it's maybe not the most consistent. Oh, as, as far as that, sure. but I don't care. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that he's like trying to make a double play or something. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. more like, well, sure. From Pete, a character arc writing standpoint, yeah, it's a little. He kind of bounced around. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Pete was defined sort of as a pawn or a reactionary character mm-hmm. for both Josie and Catherine during the whole season one thing. It kind of painted and weird but i'm really liking what's going on with him at this point yeah and yeah jack nance got the opportunity to just be completely insane <laughs> it's really good um i really like mike dancing around ben also speaking just get to the end of ben's hole uh when he was not the, dancing around his like, sort of like sniffing yeah, sensing his, like, stuff yeah his sort of almost predatory 
um, sniff test, basically. Yeah, it was good. That was good. That actor is just always out of control, but I always really like when he's in the show. Oh, yeah, totally. God, this the shot where he's in bed uh, before he escapes from his room. And, like, a little bit of his shoulder is yeah, going crazy. Yeah, like the remainder yeah. of his arm. Yeah. That was a crazy thing to see. Yep. Woof. <laughs> yeah. Has, this, has the guy who plays Mike been... In, I mean, I'm sure he's been in other stuff, but have you I ever don't know. seen him I, anything else? I, he, I, I don't specifically recognize him. Yeah. Um, I know we just jumped around through a bunch of Ben stuff, but I think that you're right that we should just talk through the entire investigation because although the Ben, although Ben's arc is kind of its own weird thing where he's trying to prove his innocence and getting dicked around by everyone and stuff, the way that it does dovetail in with the Leland stuff is because as Cooper is kind of increasingly being drawn to something being strange with Leland at well always it always ends up getting dismissed in this episode that sort of his increased the increase of his strange encounters with Leland and him sort of growing suspicious of it mm-hmm. definitely pairs with him sort of falling off of having any interest in Ben Horn as a suspect. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean that becomes very explicit. <laughs> yeah. When Truman says, I'm arresting you for the murder of Laura Palmer, <laughs> then like Cooper's, Cooper's like, can, like we just, um... can we go outside? <laughs> it was not him. Yeah. God, that reminded me of all those videos on the internet of people who, um, like put together big wedding or like marriage proposals. And then the, their like f- girlfriend or whatever is like, um, could we, can we talk about, like, can we actually talk about, about this? And it's in front of like 10,000 people at a basketball game <laughs> right. or something. It's that's, that's the like emotion that that reminds me of. That is not the of, sort but... of video that I ever watched, but I know that you have watched many of <laughs> Because I mean, because Truman gets another one of his, um, like it, it reminds me of the it's like Jacques Renault, you're Jacques under Renaud arrest, thing, right? Where it's like a big dramatic, it's like sweet sheriff arrest, yeah, right? You're under arrest for the murder of of Laura Palmer. Like whole point of this entire show, um, uh, maybe this one. Um, but this was the time finally when when Truman was like. You know, Cooper, I've been with you every step of the way through like Tibet and dreams right, and yeah, giants yeah. and whatever. But now I'm just going to do, I'm doing my thing. And then Cooper just says, it's your jurisdiction, it's your call basically yeah, no, and leaves. Cooper takes it like a champ. Even though he knows that it's garbage. Yeah. And the audience does. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. Even though the, I mean, that, that, now the audience has seen someone else be murdered yeah. and that body is in the back of Leland's car. Yeah. Man, Leland, so we're, I mean, we've put off the most important part of this whole episode, which is, I think, which is Leland. Yeah. Who, there's something interesting about the way that Ray Wise plays Leland or the way that he's directed or written or whatever, but he seems to be, like, well, I don't know, actually, because he's pretty distraught after he murders Laura, but he's, like, really rejuvenated and pleased his punch following the murder of Maddie. So I don't know what that says necessarily about about him and Bob and the interaction of the two. And because it's sort of felt to me like, cause he was pretty happy after he killed Jacques Renault. Right. As I recall, he was like, I think a that, little bit of a boost. That was a little different though, because it feels like Bob was clearly present because the burnt motor oil smell was there and all that stuff. But at the same time, even if, cause it seems like the presence of Bob is sort of a sliding scale with Leland yeah. where it's sort of Leland is in control right. or, right. He's got that weird sort of partnership of Bob existing yeah. inside of him. But it feels like after Jacques Renault was killed, some of that elation was probably actually just Leland as himself feeling like 
justice was served. I avenged my daughter's death. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's true. Whereas I mean, this is just like, like over the moon after killing Maddie, though. This is like weirdly malicious, but also in this episode, through the entire episode, whenever he looks in the mirror, Bob is still there. Yeah. Like it feels like that's true. Anything that, like any sort of uncorrupted, entirely fully present Leland is just not existing right. at this point. It's yeah, just yeah, yeah. like and the way that the way that they play it after um, he is informed that Ben Horn has been arrested is really good because it seems like he I mean, like he plays it as though he's distraught for a moment and you think, oh, maybe that's exactly like how it was with Jacques Renault, right. where he clearly, and then he walks away then and turns into like laugh crying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which where he I just also, doesn't know what to do with himself. Right. Which I well but I think he's just full on laughing at that point. Yeah, I mean, then, I don't, I don't mean that he's the, like, yeah, it's like he, but he's shaking so hard, like it just, it just transitions. It's the, yeah, it's the kind of thing that you know that, as is the case with just humans, often those two things kind of sound the same. And Cooper creeps up sort of behind him a bit and doesn't really know if he's laughing or crying, but is clearly increasingly suspicious. Yep, I saw um, Sarah pointed it out on the forum, but that I was so struck by that shot in the episode when. Of just that creeping slow camera that goes around the, the turn and you just – it's Cooper's point of view seeing mm-hmm. Leland back there. And she pointed out in the forum that it's entirely evocative of when Cooper first creeps into the Red Room in episode three and sees the giant sort of – or not the giant. He sees uh, the dwarf. He sees a super, mm. super short guy just like with his back turned, shaking, sort oh, of man, supporting right. his weight on something. Yeah. And it's Crazy. just like really unsettled by that super slow creep. But like those shots, it seems like they could almost overlay over the top of each other. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, didn't, did but like that shot was, it was unsettling and really felt really Twin Peaks to me. Oh, yeah. Totally. Not not even because it's a one to one copy no, no, of that know, shot. Know, know, but like yeah. that whole moment, the way that was played was just really good where Cooper sort of comes into this. Like apps almost. Yeah. yeah and then there's just a, a person with his back turned to Cooper in a weird, creepy, unknown state. And then. I mean, Cooper just says something and Leland snaps out of it for a second and Cooper walks away, but he's just like, something's up there. Like he he even says something to Truman. He was like, how'd that go? I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was like, "Mm." also that entire scene ends then with Leland basically soft shooing out of frame. Yep. Like Leland basically is doing the just sort of like (laughs) musical review, like cane dance off out of off the stage. I guess Twin Peaks is notable for people boogieing out of hallways. Uh (laughs) That's true. Also, speaking of that in general, in this episode, we get Leland just loves kind of music hall novelty songs. Yep. Because he's also what is the song he's singing this time? Oh, uh, I don't remember it. Chicks and ducks and geese better scurry. Yeah. You know, blah 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 blah. Um, he loves it. He can't get enough of that stuff. Uh, man. Although speaking of all this, we we totally skipped over the beginning of the episode where Leland's thread begins. Yeah, we should because just jump all the way back. I thought it was really interesting that he, as the episode begins, he is, you know, incredibly cheerful as we've been, he's just totally like giddy. This giddy is basically how I'd put it. This entire episode, he's yep. pleased as punch about it with himself, but he's sitting there like being extremely calm while doing a thing indoors that is pretty destructive. Like he's Where hitting he's, golf balls. He's like, it's like, it seems like he's like sort of chipping and putting golf balls. I know, but they, and, but he's not chipping and putting when they show him swing. He's doing a right. full on golf swing. It was interesting. Cause isn't he, I don't, I think he probably, I mean, he's doing a thing remember. that is going to result in things Something's being broken, being destroyed. And no one seems to like, everyone's just like, ha, ah, that wacky Leland. Like I, no one cares. I really liked the way that they opened it with that because not remembering Leland's emotional state for this episode. Um, cause I didn't really remember how this episode played out. 
it set the stage really well for like, is Leland in a place where he's distraught and he doesn't know why? Is he like just mm-hmm. doing a strange Leland coping thing or, mm-hmm. or whatever, oh, totally, yeah. you know? And then, um, but then when Donna and James come by and mm-hmm. he was like, Oh, I drove her to the bus station and yeah. then like totally lays the guilt trip on where he's like, well, I, I thought she was pretty disappointed. She was pretty disappointed that you didn't come by last night. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, Oh, all these golf balls and clubs are out because he stuffed a body in his golf bag. Right. The end. Like, that's it. It's just like, whoa. (laughs) But they really hit it hard because – so you see Leland taking a number of swings and you see a few golf balls around. But you don't see the, like – The reveal. Distressing reveal of, like, dozens or hundreds of of golf balls. Of a Twin Peaks number of golf balls. (laughs) Piled everywhere until it's cut to be from – Donna, Donna and Donna James, and James. You know, they're kind of like, oh, Leland, what a weird right. guy. <laughs> Mr. Palmer. Yeah, dorky teen moment we got between us. Yep. But uh, also, I don't, Leland apparently just filled his entire golf bag full of golf balls. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, the shot where he puts on his jacket and uh, puts the club into the bag with Maddie's body, I thought was interesting because it was a really extreme top-down shot. Mm-hmm. A really extreme angle from the inside of the closet. I feel like Twin Peaks doesn't actually do stuff like that very often. No, Leland's like, actually shot kind of weird this episode because yeah. I, I I thought actually when I was watching it with Dana, she pointed out the same thing. That there's just these like when he's in the car and he's being pulled over. There's also another just super weird high angle shot. His his master shot for that whole scene is like that, and I don't mm-hmm. know why. He also does because of the um, constantly looking in mirrors. Um, you know, there's another shot, super duper close up on the mirror where he looks in the, in the rear view and, and Bob, Bob is Bob there. Is yeah. 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 Yep. But I liked, I liked all that stuff in this episode. I guess that's Caleb Deschanel at work. Yes. That's also, I mean, it's a, also a, uh, some of a callback to some of the way that he was shot with Bob last episode, but yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so that stuff was all cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I don't know. I, uh, the, um, the thing to go back to to well, I guess not to go back, but in the same scene with the car that we're talking about, he's obviously weaving all over the road, um, being just like there's a that entire sequence to me is interesting in how performative performative it is. Like, obviously he doesn't want to get arrested, but he kind of almost does. He's like just he's, pushing his limits of everything, exactly, right? Where he's like because. Yelling and singing and swinging around. Although the song that he was singing, Cooper's Whistling, which I thought was crazy. Yeah. Um, which well, just means nothing. It's just a Twin Peaks thing, right? Because their their cars are on completely different directions. They're driving mm-hmm. towards each other. Leland's singing. Cooper just has that song in his head for some reason. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's he's driving crazily, just just skirting death at every turn. And then when the police pull him over, he's like, you want to see my golf club? Yeah. And then Cooper's back is trying to just raises it like he's yep. going to hit him over the head. Well, but do he also in broad daylight with a with – Two right, law with- officers feet away opens this bag full of a dead body. Yeah. I mean, he clearly is like getting a total thrill out of it. Right. I'm just like, yeah, riding the, I've right killed two face. people and yeah. no one has any idea that it's yeah. me. Yeah. These chumps are right here. Yep. And yeah, not only am I going to drive crazily, I'm going to s- almost run them off the road. Claim I'm just, just thinking about Maddie. Oh, just Ben popped into my head. Oh, Ben popped into my head. That's what it was. And then, yeah. Sh- Almost show them a dead body and then almost murder him with a golf club and then just be like, and then on top of all of that he didn't even get a warning. Yeah, I know. Like, like, well, not Leland. only did they not take at him, they were just like, "Well, glad we cleared that up." See yeah, ya. he's like, "I'll like, check out. Got to check out those clubs some other time." Yeah, they leave. Yep. 
Yeah. Man, they give this guy way too many passes. It's, I mean, it's the same as the the the, the uh, hearing with uh, Sternwood. I know, but maybe when they were writing Twin Peaks, they read that article that we read way early on when they were like, "Can't be Leland," and they're like, "Okay, no one. <laughs> yeah. Leland's got infinite rope." Yep. Um. Yeah, I. Every everything with the Leland arc and with Cooper, I just I thought was just so good. Oh yeah, it's great. He, uh, I mean. That's pretty much. I mean, we've. I oh, think, it's because they find they find Gerard. That's why they leave the the radio. No, I know they on. get a call that might, that that he's around, but still, I mean, it yeah. just seemed like it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So Cooper. I mean, Cooper. At this point, this is pretty much it's pretty much the end of that whole line because Cooper goes back to the Great Northern, um, dictates to Diane that he's you know close on this whole thing, like homing in, and then Audrey arrives. Um, and the thing I like about Audrey's scene when she gets there, like she basically immediately is like, "Whoa, is that where you got shot?" She's just she, yeah, she's like, total teen. And it's exactly it's like totally like a kid who sees something gross and is really excited about it. Like, I know. Oh, like, is that where you got cool. shot? I was like, yeah. <laughs> I just really like that. It's a really funny thing because she, I mean, that's her whole deal with her character, I guess. Right? Is like trying to come off as an incredibly sort of mature beyond her years woman. But like she's just a teen, really. Yep. Like all these people, with all these yeah. Teens. Yeah. There's also after that. There's a um, there's a shot of the waterfall that's just another. It's just there. Like it's just there's a there's it, a couple of cuts of the waterfall this episode. I are there really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't remember that. I like those. I really like the those kind of lingering. And uh, exterior shots that it used in this show. It's usually, um, I think in this episode, it's kind of related to Mike Gerard. I'm not sure if that's entirely the case, but I feel like they also talked about, he jumped, he escaped and they found him by the waterfall. I think is what they said also. Mm, okay. But, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, maybe I just a lot of the scenes thing. involving, um, him are bookmarked or bookended by the waterfall. Although I guess in this case, it's not, Mike related, but it cuts to the waterfall for a while, and then you just see the flickering police lights in the dark, and mm-hmm. you see that they found um, Maddie. Maddie, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, this is the most obvious observation ever. There's no way anyone would ever not pick up on this, but I, I did really like the incredibly eerie parallel back to the very first episode of the show, yep. where Laura Palmer is found wrapped in plastic. Yep. I was totally expecting them to actually cut to a Maddie version of the same beauty shot, but they don't. No, they don't. And it's good that they don't because yeah. it's the, it's cause cause it's, it's the same face. It's so yeah. striking anyway that you, that's all you need. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's really good. And imagine also just how devastating that must be to especially Truman. Right. I mean, like there's this whole murder. Both that, Truman and Cooper, right? I know, but I but I'm saying, but but Cooper wasn't yeah. there when they found Laura. I mean, oh, like right. yeah. local law enforcement, your small town, this thing comes into your town and like completely rocks the whole community. Just days ago, really. I mean, this has not been very long. It's been what, like a week, two weeks? It's been two weeks because like a couple episodes ago, Cooper said he'd been in town for twelve days. Okay, so, yeah. so I think we're two, probably about two it's weeks. About in two now. weeks now, yeah. So two weeks ago, this happens. It's like beloved girl. Days later. A girl who looks basically exactly like her coming to town, comes to town, and then a week after that, she's also found dead in the exact same way. Yep. Like if you're the sheriff who's actually responsible for like, that town, oh. like what a devastating yeah thing. Yep. I mean, we all know it's coming because we we've all we seen saw it. It happened last like, week. Man, that is. I didn't. It didn't occur to me to think of it from his standpoint until afterwards. Yep. And 
this is dumb because he was just a total doof for it and kind of shat on Cooper for it. But he also said, Ben Harn, you're under arrest for the murder. Oh, there's a body here. Right. Yeah. Exa- when I had yeah, you in jail. Also, yeah, exactly. He's uh, also another girl was killed in the exact same way. Like, right. And he's also just, you know, laid into Cooper for doubting him on that. Yep. And then Cooper gives him the, you know, gives Cooper's him some like, rope. Maybe and, right. then, and then, oh, mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah. Um, I feel like we jumped over a bunch of stuff, but maybe we didn't. This episode. I mean, we haven't talked about Norma, really. No, that's true. And this is a goofy. It's not goofy, but just one of the things that that, uh, has been talked about both by us and by readers is sort of the structure of Twin Peaks episodes. And this episode feels very much like it went back to the classic style of Twin Peaks episode where each individual scene more often than not, doesn't cross cut between a bunch of storylines, right. but it's just yeah. each individual scene is like a short story in and of itself, where it's like, this is Leland no, having right. that encounter with the kids and, and bottling up Maddie, or this is like Ben Horn's in jail and he gets a visit from Pete, or they pull Leland over and he tries to kill them with a the golf club or whatever. Like it's, but I think because of that, it ended up having a feeling that I haven't felt for a while, which is that a ton of stuff happened. And it all felt incredibly potent in and of itself. But also this episode just felt like it whizzed by to me. Like it felt like oh, it was just too, over. Yeah. Whereas well, some of season two has felt like it's – the episodes also, have felt long. I think part of that is because it feels like until this point in season two, the, well, at least the way I felt was that we were constantly building towards something. Yes. Whereas now we're not. Like this episode really just like just sort of focused on the one core thread with very brief detours. But, you know – in the in the previous episode, we got like resolutions or climaxes to a bunch of different major yep. threads. Whereas in this episode, no, it's all just sort of fallout of the one major thread, and then Norma and and it's and, also you know. classic stuff, like which is weird because it's a mirror, it's a reflection of the first episode in a lot of ways, or almost like a clone of it because it's yeah. Maddie Ferguson has been killed, but it's like this propellant crazy murder has happened. And characters are acting insane. At the same time, Ben Horn and Catherine are going at each other over Ghostwood. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like it. It's true. They yeah. went back to a lot of a lot of wells of Twin Peaks that have some of the most potent character and plot stuff. All kind of was out in force for the first time in a while. Right. Yep. No, it's totally true. Um, there's one sort of stray observation I wanted to make. That is, this is. A, not really a big point that has anything to do with anything we're talking about, but in the scene when uh, Jerry first visits Ben in prison and talks about being his lawyer, um, before they cut to the um, to the teen like weird teen dancing reverie, uh, it was just it the way that that scene sounded was really unusual for Twin Peaks. It was totally quiet. Except though, uh, when, for one thing, there were no other people around. It was just those two characters. They went long stretches without talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And the ol- and there was also no wilderness or, like, commotion of any kind. It was just some dripping water in the background. So right. you just got, like, almost complete silence with just a bit of room tone and dripping water for often, like, several seconds at a time, which in television is a long time yep. to have basically dead air. Um, and I thought it was really interesting. It was really striking to me. It really, uh, especially given these two characters who are never, you know, wanting for something to say or for yep. some outrageous thing to happen. Um, it, it was really effective, I thought. And then it was interrupted 
by this like crazy weird, just like b- bonkers Angelo Battlementi like simulacrum of a sixties doo-wop right. track that just kind of yep. blared in. And I was totally shocked because I as the scene went on, I realized that I was sort of starting to listen more closely because there was so much absence of sound. Right. So I was like, but then, focusing, blah, and then blah, suddenly blah, it's blah. like, bah, bah, bah. like, okay, here we, here we go. <laughs> yep. It was, it was shocking because the music started before the visuals cut. Right. So I had like a quarter of a second of I'm being just... incredibly confused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, that sort of slow pacing and total lack of music is a thing that was way more present, I feel, in the pilot and maybe really, really, yeah, really early Twin right. Peaks. But then it sort of settled into its rhythm of everything having the in the background for like mm-hmm. the the entirety of the show. But yeah, yeah it's it this episode. Or at least that scene mm-hmm. is an exception to that. You want to talk about the the Norma stuff? Okay, I'm not sure if this is the case, but I suspect that Norma's mom is the food critic. <laughs> You mean when she like picks apart the quality of the salmon or whatever? Every <laughs> single piece of food she has something to say about. Yeah. Or she's like, "Still, uh, is that a real potato you're using there? Some uh, box for some yeah. flakes?" She's like, "No, it's a real potato. I really like what you've done with the plates." Oh, it's because the food critic's coming. Hmm. <laughs> oh, the salmon was okay, but a little overcooked. Like every single time, food. She's clearly <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I hope that like I'm not accidentally spoiling a huge reveal by suspecting that that's the case. Yeah, but I feel like. I feel like they're they're laying into that pretty fucking hard. Yep. Mm-hmm. I liked a lot of this stuff just because, like as we've said in the past, the actress who plays Norma does a a good job. Yeah, I I thought it was really an interesting choice that when so her mother arrives and and they have obvious what is clearly sort of not necessarily like terrible relationship, but definitely one that is sort of rusted due to dis to misuse like yeah. disuse. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's they. They're not on great terms, really, especially from Norma's end. Like, she doesn't really want. Right. She just kind of keeps going back to, to doing her job, her and her mom yeah. keeps sort of um, pushing in. Uh, so, there's that. And her mom also, I thought what is interesting is that she seems to have a kind of weirdly charitable affinity for Hank. Like, he, like yep. she really does not seem at all bothered by the fact that Hank went to prison for a crime. And like she kept asking where he is, and she was like, yep. seemed very genuinely pleased to see him. Yeah, well, that it seemed like she, yeah, it seemed like she mysteriously approved of Hank. Well, at the same time, it seems like she and Norma have been adults for long enough that she's come to peace with this stuff. But she was saying classic, just abusive mom oh, stuff. Oh, absolutely. Like, Still got your figure, I see, looking good in that uniform, and like yeah. whatever. Just like every compliment is a backhanded judgmental right. mom compliment. Yeah, where it's I, like for sure. Still, um, you know, just making sure that you're doing the exact thing that I would want you to do as your mother. <laughs> yeah. Still living the way that I raised you. Or if you're not, well, I guess, you know, I mean, uh, each to each their own. I'll let it slide. <laughs> but obviously, I don't approve. Yep. yep um, just sure. like classic shitty judge mom. Well, I feel like that actually, even that goes sort of hand in hand with the Hank thing. Because with Norma, as you say, even when she's paying a compliment, there is a clear kind of tacitly withheld judgment but hank she can she's just sort of like openly warm to right and i feel like even the comparison between how she treats norma and how she treats hank is itself Which, me, like sort of slightly needling yeah, at norma as norma that's got to be such a disaster though because right. hank is the worst that's such a fuck up and yeah. it, it's it's revealed in a pretty intense way that she apparently just has a blind spot for shitty yeah dudes because, because hank's like <laughs> oh hey you got out you're scamming norma's mom huh like yeah. whoa <laughs> Also, when that guy shows up and he's wearing this the most outrageous suit, it's amazing with like <laughs> the huge collar. I don't know what you call that, but like 
the big loud a 70s shirt, 70s shirt and suit yeah it was amazing yeah. it was holding an amazing also massive cell phone yeah period appropriate huge block of a cell phone um also just speaking of norma and and hank um when hank shows up after being really late because he's he gives her this whole story about like oh you know my past is catching up to me and i gotta lay low she is i think surprisingly forgiving and like I know that that whole scene. I kept it. expecting. Is it Vivian? That's Norma's mom, right? I, oh, I can't remember. Whatever. She was in the scene that whole time, just sort of watching Hank say that stuff. And Norma was being incredibly charitable. And what I kept expecting was for her mom to be like, "You're really gonna just you're gonna just eat that up. You're gonna just buy that." But uh, she yeah. seemed to be like, "Oh, yeah. oh, Hank." Yep. Like, yeah, that was surprising to me. Yeah, it was not. It was <laughs> the continued tradition of. People in Twin Peaks making the worst possible decision. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, then Hank. <laughs> Hank knowing. What was that? What was that guy's name? Oh, Niles the Professor. Uh, yeah, Ernie the Professor Niles. Ernie the Professor Niles. Yeah. Ernie <laughs> Niles. Ernie the Professor Niles. Man, because they all, they you know, they all agree to go on that double date at mm-hmm. the Great Northern. And then when Norma and her mom leave. Hank. Also, I love that that Norma's like, I got to go to the bathroom, and Rom's like, Oh, I'll join you. Norma's like, No, I think I actually just have like, I imagine from her perspective, she just wanted to get up from the table for a moment, right. but her mom takes it as the implicit like, Oh, it's just us girls, right? Going to, <laughs> I don't think that's what Norma actually wanted. To no, happen. but it left Hank an opportunity to just like easily yeah, Hank it up, Max. <laughs> Most, but did oh you, man, did Let you notice it, that Hank had a Domino Bolo tie in that scene? Yes, I did. <laughs> What a terrible He also thing. lays down this episode's, I guess, third blackmail plot. Yes. Because there's two against Ben, now one against... I mean, we can assume he's going to yeah. <laughs> use this as leverage against the old professor. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because then when, when Norman and her mom come back, he's like... Because I mean, like, things oh, that happen when you're prison in prison. Yard. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he also says all that stuff about, like, wouldn't you agree family is worth paying any price to protect? Like, he's... I mean, yeah, it's so transparent. But yeah, then he just like sort of looks off into space while blabbing loudly about prison, right? As they get back to the yeah. table, just as like the beginning of the of the threat. Yep. Yeah. I think the only other thing we haven't really talked about is Lucy, although I don't really think I have anything to say about it. I I do like that the actress who plays Lucy's sister clearly was just told be like this person because she has the exact same vocal delivery. I mean, her voice is different. Yeah. But her the way she delivers lines is basically identical in a kind of amusing way. And the only the only version of it, the only line that really got me, I guess, was when um, she's there and Hawk comes in, and she she like can't remember his name or whatever. But the, the the she goes, you know, God, you must hate us white people after all we've done, all we've done to you. And Hawk's like, some of my best friends are white people. And then she goes, oh, as if that in itself is like right. an explanation, as opposed to just sort of a snarky retort to an idiotic right. like nothing. I don't know. God, but she thinks his name is Eagle Eye. Yeah, Eagle Eye, right. God. Cool. Yep. The actress who plays Lucy has some pretty good Lucy line deliveries oh, yeah. in those scenes. And some side eyes yeah. directed at her sister. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I guess what what happens is that Lucy ends up always... Bo- Whenever characters enter into a scene with Lucy for these kind of like comedy of errors, just like slapstick bonanza, Lucy always ends up kind of rising to the occasion and and kind of being the most together right. person around, you know, like she she ends up sort of taking like temporarily 
Oh, okay. she's with Dick, Dick Tremaine or Andy or her sister. Right. She's that kind of like jolts her into like a, a a higher plane where she's a where. Well, Lucy kind of remembers. Oh, I'm the actual person here who has some reasonable grasp on my life, and right. I have a job yeah. that actually requires responsibility at all right. times. And like yeah. I'm an adult, but her default mode is just to be. Yeah, her default mode is to be flighty, just and kind of goofy because she can yeah. be, I guess. But yeah, whenever she's whenever she's put in a situation right. where other people are being that, she she's kind, kind of, of climb out of it. Yeah, exactly. And sort of like tamp it down. Yeah. Yeah. But whatever. Yeah. I don't know. That's about it. Classic that's, baby. That's all I got, really. Yeah. Do you want to read a mail? Uh, so as a follow up to the letterboxing uh, aspect ratio discussion we had, I guess, two weeks ago, two episodes ago. Uh, Sean McLean writes in, hi guys, just to weigh in on the whole people hate black bars and their TV talk. I work as tech support for a telecom up in Canada and come across this quite a bit. Uh, more often than not, the people in particular who get frustrated by it are the ones who don't understand the concept of aspect ratios and find that a picture not filling up their expensive TV is in some way robbing them of, a, of some make-believe value, make believe value uh, if it actually had filled the screen. I had one person yell shenanigans when I couldn't get an SD-only channel to completely fill the screen after over two hours of troubleshooting. As someone who would rather watch programs that aren't distorted, I'm loving the Blu-ray release of Twin Peaks. Uh, we don't have the unnecessary widescreen that would either distort the picture or fill the edges with extras who think they're out of frame and boom mics. Extras who would think they're out of frame and boom mics. Thanks for the cast, John. Yeah, I think that's true. I think most of that stuff tends to just come from people not understanding something and then feeling like they're getting one pulled over on them, which is probably a hard... That's a hard thing to deal with as a customer support rep, presumably, because so many of the things that people argue with customer support reps over are, in fact, real examples of kind of just like impenetrable bureaucracy. So people are probably conditioned to assume that everything – that they're just getting shafted no matter what. Right. Because that's – you can often assume that when – like because customer service reps aren't usually empowered to like change – policies right that can be screwing you over but this is a case where this is just like physical laws of geometry uh but i think a lot of people just don't know that that's a thing like they don't know that aspect like they've never considered the concept of aspect ratios i think people just they just yeah i think not just in terms of aspect ratios but i think that people just don't internalize the notion of whether it's on video or on film especially when it's on film when you're shooting a television show it is the equivalent of you taking a photograph with your still camera at 24 frames a second. And no one would reasonably expect a like five by seven glossy photo of their kid to suddenly somehow be able to be expanded out, nor would they expect someone to just take a cutting board to the top and bottom of it. If they were going to reframe it, like that would freak people out. But I just don't think people actually internalize how moving images are even created, let alone the specific choices of aspect ratios. Like I think it just, it even still takes me time to think about like, oh, cinematography is actually literally just still photography, but with the additional right. constraint that it has to work 24 times a second. Right, for sure. Like, it just, it's so, it's it's hard to wrap your brain around even as someone who like, yeah, actually to connect, exists in that industry. To connect that to, uh, I feel like we, we're, um, it this makes sense, as video, as video and film have become an increasingly entrenched part of society to the point that they are much more, I think, a part of our society than still photography is. Uh, we 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 less frequently use the same terms terminology to describe still photographs and video and film capture, mm-hmm. whereas those used to be there used to be a lot more overlap in the terminology between the two. Yes. Whereas now, you know, we say video all the time, regardless of what 
medium you're actually talking about. Right. Um, but, and so often the conflation of the two or the not conflation, cause it is correct, but the overlap of the two, I think often sounds quaint to our ears. And I think an example of that is actually on twin peaks um, really early on when they're playing the camcorder footage of uh, up on the mountain of, mm-hmm. um, of Laura, Laura and James and, and, James Donna. and Donna. And they keep referring to them as pictures. Like who took these pictures? And I love that they do that. Right. It's such a quaint kind of yep. like old timey way to refer to video. Right, but like, who course, shot this video? Yeah, they don't say that. Yeah. They say, who took these pictures? Who took these pictures, James? And I love that. It's just like, it's, it's a, right. It's a reminder that like, that is in fact what these are technically. It's a moving picture. Yeah. 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 Who took these pictures, James? Can you make them, uh, can you widen them to fit my TV, please? <laughs> who took these pictures? I need to know why there's black bars. <laughs> Twin Peaks 2016. <laughs> um, do you have any uh, spoiler stuff? Uh, tiny stuff. A little oh, bit. Did? Okay. So uh, thanks for listening to the Twin Peaks podcast. Uh, Twin Peaks Rewatch podcast. I'm sorry. There's also... Also check out the Twin podcast. Peaks podcast. Yes, it's called the Twin Peaks podcast. Um, but yes, thanks for listening. We uh, would appreciate your word of mouth um, recommendations or your iTunes reviews. Those are really helpful. They, they help us grow the audience. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Peaks Rewatch on Facebook at facebook.com slash Twin Peaks Rewatch. You can send us email at twinpeaks.idlethumbs.net. And it's worth uh, saying that if you have posted something on the forums that is getting good response or that you are proud of, um, go ahead and send that in to us as well at twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net because often that's where a lot of the most interesting discussion of the show happens. And if you're not on the forums, check them out, go to idlethumbs.net, go to the forums area. And uh, we have one set aside for this show. Yeah. There's a pretty active community discussing the episodes as we watch them. We put up the thread for each episode a week in advance. So like if you're listening to this and you're watching the episode and you're preparing to watch episode 17, AKA episode 16, right? But if you, you know, if you're getting ready to watch the episode for next week's podcast, Know that there are people already discussing that as they watch it during the week on the forums as well. So once you've watched the next episode, totally jump in because there's mm-hmm. actually people yep. talking every week. It's pretty cool. There's some really good stuff in there. And we also now have a general Twin Peaks non-episode specific discussion thread in there as well. Yep. So check that out. Um, yeah. So uh, our website is at TwinPeaksRewatch.com. All of, the inf- all of the links and information are all on there. Um, and we are now going to discuss spoiler content. So if you have not seen the entire run of Twin Peaks as well as the film Fire Walk With Me, don't listen anymore today. Listen next week. See ya. All right, Jake, what you got? Okay, I couldn't get into this too much when we were talking about it, but... But that food critic, let's the really critic. blow Man, the lid off H. that. H.T. Wentz. <laughs> totally. It's W.T. Wentz? W.T., whatever it is. Um, no. Yeah. That's Tajimura. Um, <laughs> no, just the Leland stuff, because I, I hadn't watched Firewalk with me for years and years and years. Like, I watched, I, I rewatched Twin Peaks um, probably, like, or I watched it for the first time probably five or six years ago, but I actually had seen... Only like a couple episodes and Fire Walk with Me in like early 2000s because uh, my girlfriend at the time really liked it mm-hmm. and made people watch it. Um, but watching um, watching last episode. Oh, it was MT once. Sorry. Please. <laughs> watching last episode where Leland 
and Bob are shown on screen as the same person for the first time and stuff. And then watching Fire Walk with me, those two Lelands actually felt really disjointed and not the mm-hmm. same to me. Like the yeah. way that Leland plays, uh, or the, the the character of Leland and, and his being possessed by Bob are played yeah. in last week's episode when he kills Maddie, and the way that he's played in Fire Walk with me, they just seem like completely different takes on Leland. But this episode actually really felt like the bridge between those two different performances to me where this entire episode he's like, I mean, he, when he, he's being ecstatic and crazy, but at the same time, the way that, that Ray wise plays sort of the way that Ray, Ray wise plays Leland when he's in the company of other people. And he then gets that sort of like really hard faced kind of bottled up, like sweaty. Yeah. Can't communicate because he's got something else inside of him that he yeah. can't express it felt so, so similar to me with the way that he acts around Laura and uh, around Sarah in the first film, where mm-hmm. it's just like the first film, or in the in the film, yeah. excuse me, in yeah. in in the few scenes that he has with those characters yeah. in that movie. But like, mm-hmm. I don't have a whole lot to say about it, I guess, other than like just. Well, so so, what do you think about the, one of the th- reasons that it's hard for me to look at Firewalk with Me as a prequel, even though I know that it technically is. Is because all that stuff, especially the stuff related to Leland and 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 uh, Laura, it really feels like it continues from the show. Because, like, yeah, Ray, Ray Wise didn't know that he was that character when Twin Peaks started, so it's right. really hard to actually draw a line between. Well, that's Leland what I'm saying is that as, like the, yeah. the arc to me right now that makes sense is Leland from the scene when he kills Maddie mm-hmm. to this week to his performance in Firewalk with me. Like right. that ramp exactly up yeah, feels yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's the case, and I I know. So, yeah, so I don't chronologically. Like, that's not how it really is, but yeah, that that is emotionally how the performance feels. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm really. It makes me. I'm deliberately not watching any of the Twin Peaks, any of the deleted scenes, any of like the missing pieces in quotes because I've never I've never seen that stuff until we get. Yeah, up we should to watch it. that stuff after we're done with all the rest. But I'm I'm curious as to whether or not we see. And people already know this. and Will tell us on the forums one or the other right now, but it feels the story of fire walk with me is so condensed down. It's about so few characters that yeah. you also don't get to see other sides of them. So it makes me wonder if you do end up seeing Leland w- interact with anyone else in that film in a way that shows other facets of his character, because mm-hmm. like now the, the focused Leland that we're seeing in these episodes is very reminiscent of the, and clearly informs the really focused Leland that you see in the films. Yeah, for sure. Um, you keep referring to multiple films in the film. Why do I keep saying that? <laughs> I don't know why. I'm sorry. That's okay. But the thing that I really liked about this episode and about Leland's or Leland as a character and Ray Wise's performance is that you see how the way he acts in Firewalk with Me fits into the sort of broader spectrum of how Leland behaves across the series. Because in this, he's dancing and singing and being crazy, Mm -hmm. and then like at the snap of a finger, he turns into that character that you see in the film. And I just totally. I've not seen all of that stuff in such close proximity to really be able to kind of respect it the way that I did when watching this episode. It made me really glad that I saw Firewalk with me just like last week because I don't know if I would have noticed all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's definitely a general sensation I, I had because I watched Firewalk with me before just kind of coincidentally before um, we actually started doing this podcast mm-hmm. for the first time. I'd never seen it before. I'd right. seen the whole Twin Peaks series before, but not that. And so that was my most recent memory of Leland. And then going from that into the show, I was very conscious of right. the difference in portrayal. Yeah. 
but it feels like we're fading back up mm-hmm. into the stuff Definitely. that informed that choice. Yep. yep. Um, I don't know. Cool. That's all. Yeah. I'd be curious to hear anyone else's thoughts on that. You can, as I said earlier, you can get us at Twin Peaks at idlethumbs.net or you can post on the forums. Yep. Um, you want to call it a day? Yep. Cool. We'll be back next week as always. Thanks for listening. Oh, for what episode are we back for, Chris? I, I believe we're back for episode 17, Arbitrary Law, a.k.a. episode 16, Arbitrary Law. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>